Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. Uh, Charlie is taking charge today. Charlie, why are you taking charge today? I'm taking charge, Alex, because um, anyone who knows me might know that I have had a massive relapse recently. Um, For years, I've been a recovering goth and (laughs) I have fully relapsed. Um, It's tied in with the tour by The Cure, you know, the the whole thing. It's, It's the same old story. So I have chosen today's guest based on something that I'm very interested in. We have today... Ben Pate, who is the Collections and Learning Curator at Colchester Museums. Most recently, he's overseen the curation of Wicked Spirits at Colchester Castle, an exhibition that is so far up our street here at History Hack and one that you still have time to see. We've invited him here to tell us all about it. Hello, Ben. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to History Hack. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to have you here today and to talk about what you've been up to at Colchester Castle. Um, The castle has a very long history, but today we're going to be focusing on all things witchy. So what was Colchester's connection to the English witch trials? So Colchester Castle has a very, uh, not quite unique, but very special place in the history of the witch trials in England in that it's one of the few places left standing where there is a direct link to those who were accused and eventually executed, having been accused of witchcraft. Some of the people in Essex who were suspected of being witches or accused at the very least of of practising witchcraft were actually kept at Colchester Castle. And the cells, although the cells that we have in the castle today that you can go and visit aren't the ones that those suspected witches would have been kept in, they are the sort of thing that they would have been kept in. Those are slightly later date. And on the ground floor where those cells are, are actually where the men were kept. So any women that were accused of any crime at that time, they would have been kept on the floors above that, which those cells don't exist anymore. Gosh, so they did they did separate out the male and female prisoners then or some decorum in there. They did, yeah. As far as far as I can tell, for for most of its history, they would have they would have kept male and female prisoners separate. Um, but regardless, the conditions would have probably been the same. It would have been very dark, very damp. You wouldn't have got food unless you or loved ones would have been able to pay for that. Um, I think some some prisons in the country you kind of you kind of get fed, but then you get presented a bill at the end, and then if you can't pay the bill, then you have to stay in prison because obviously that's a, a debt. So, um, but I think in Colchester you weren't even in, given anything unless someone could could provide that for you. So it was quite horrific conditions. No sanitation, no water, no kind of toilets, nothing like that. And we know that the prison cells that we have now, which as I said, would, would have been used by the men. There's a kind of fireplace in that space. So if you if the, the jailer was wanted to keep warm, they could put a fire in. The heat wouldn't have really got to the cells, but there would have been a lot of smoke because there's no yeah. ventilation whatsoever. So very smoky, very dark, absolutely horrific conditions to be in. I mean, there must have been outbreaks of all kinds of disease in places like that. Well, yeah, that's that's what often happens is that people were, who were imprisoned, having been accused of whatever crime, if they had to stay in there for any length of time, they may not have even made it out. And for example, the the, the famous case of this area, the, the Northeast Essex witch trials that we refer to as sometimes referred to as the Manningtree witch trials, um, 
the people who were kept in the castle at that time, I think there's at least one, if not two, a couple of people didn't survive the length of time they spent in the prisons before they could even be sentenced. So we we know from, from case studies, from um, files and records and things that definitely there were people that didn't didn't make it very long in these prisons. I think you can already tell that Wicked Spirits focuses more on the victims of the trials rather than the more famous instigators such as, well, that arsehole Matthew Hopkins, for starters. Uh, putting this exhibition together, what can you tell us about the kind of people who were suspected, imprisoned, tried, executed, and, uh, given that we are women with opinions, do Charlie and I need to worry for ourselves here? <laughs> so... Uh... I mean, I would say you don't have to worry in that the witch trials in England anyway happened many, many years ago and stopped. And and one of the th- things the exhibition does is it ties all of this history into the law. So our key kind of thread throughout this was the changing witchcraft acts. And that's what we wanted to focus on is how did these changes in the law affect everyday people? What What was it within those laws that made some people get accused of witchcraft and others didn't? And if you happen to live at one period of history as opposed to another, you would have been more at risk than than at different times. So um, although having said that, of course, we all know that witch trial, even for genuine belief in witchcraft, accusations and executions still happen across the world today in some places. Um, but we didn't we didn't touch on the modern stuff in this exhibition. Um, but the people who were accused from a whole range of different backgrounds and uh, identities as you've quite rightly pointed out, the vast majority were women. I think in Essex, it's something like 92% it's been estimated were women, whereas more generally across the UK, it was like 80%, but that's still majority women. So um, yeah, Essex was slightly higher in the women. But And what I've found as well is a lot of the times when men were caught up in these accusations and things, men were accused of associating with witches rather than being witches themselves. Now, there are a couple of examples of men accused of witchcraft. They're far, far fewer than than the women or, as I said, men who were kind of working with witches to try and to try and get things done. Um, but also there are a couple of other factors. A lot of these women tended to be older Um some there's not often specific ages with these women it just says that they're older so we have to kind of make assumptions sometimes because back then what was assumed to be old perhaps slightly differently to what we perceive to be old today um but we know that they were kind of older women um specifically older women that weren't married whether that was through divorce or not quite divorce sometimes it could have been later on there are divorces obviously not so much in the early history but um widowing and uh just women who never got married um, they would have been identified as, as suspects and also people who had disabilities. There's a big um, chunk of people who were uh, clearly disabled and that's potentially why they were targeted. So another, again, a part of the exhibition is looking at these these different reasons why people were accused and why they weren't, um, because there were people practicing magic who weren't accused. Um, for the most part, healers and midwives Although people often think, oh, well, the healers would have been targeted because they were practicing magic. So that's an obvious one. Actually, they were performing a service to the communities at the time when doctors, GPs didn't exist. So if you're living in a rural area, your only access to healing services would have been the local healer. So they weren't often accused or caught up, perhaps because people didn't want to lose their local healer, not because they weren't afraid, just, you know. And the same with midwives. People needed that service. And so they weren't often accused. Sometimes they were, as is the case with Ursula Kemp, who's one of the case studies we have. She was a healer in St. Osith, and unfortunately, due to various accusations, ended up being executed. Um, But for the most part, healers and midwives weren't. Um, And then you also have people like astrologers and and, uh, alchemists, who, of course, are all well-educated men so I think we all know the reason why they were never (laughs) accused (laughs) however having said that even um John Dee who was at the court of Elizabeth I ended up ending his days in poverty when James I came along because James was so opposed to magic and witchcraft Mm -hmm. even someone as well respected as John Dee at the time um lost his position because he was practicing magic so it's it's a very complicated, it's a long history and it's a complicated history. But for the most part, like I said, mostly women, mostly older women and disabled people as well. 
It's so interesting that you say, I mean, it's, it is really long and really complicated. That even someone like James I, who literally wrote the book on finding, identifying and trying witches in his um, demonology, I think it was, I think it was called, he, when he got sick, called for a healing woman. <laughs> so it's like, get them, go get them. They're bad. But actually, I'm feeling a bit poorly. Could someone get me a witch? Yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy in this history as well. And that's another thing we touch on in, for example, the church, of course, was was a big part of the opposition to uh, witchcraft and witchcraft practices. Whilst at the same time, there were churches that used things like hagstones on their keys to protect the buildings from any evil magic. So they're using magic to protect themselves from magic. It's an, it's, it's not as if magic is necessarily seen as a bad thing outright because they're using it. But it's magic used by certain people seems mm. to be seems to be the issue. Ah, OK. So any sort of anyone who might be using their magic for nefarious reasons, it might be causing evil. Someone like we, we touched on elderly and disabled people. Famously, you've got in Manning Tree, Elizabeth Clark, one legged old lady, supposed to be quite um, cantankerous. Yeah. A little bit of a troublemaker, she's, perhaps not liked. Yeah, she is kind of the epitome of, of of what was going on at this time. She's a really good example of um all of the things that kind of these people were targeting in one person. Um and yeah, and she started those those trials. It was it was her arrest was the first and it kind of led to the trickle down of all the other women being rounded up and one man being rounded up in that in that case. And uh, yeah, it's it is interesting because again we tie it in with the law, and um, at that time the law had changed under James the First to include a wider remit. So mm. before then, the Elizabethan law, it was only if you used magic magic to cause harm or death that you would end up with an execution. People could still be accused and face fines or imprisonment and other things for using magic for what was considered to be bad things but if um in terms of these executions it was it was if you caused harm and then it was under james james the first who as i mentioned was far more afraid of magic in general that you have this wider remit of what what is it that's that's magical and and what is bad and it's again which is where the um exhibition title comes in actually is its associations with wicked spirits so these wicked spirits are a combination of the devil and the devil in his many forms, but also familiars. So that's a very English thing. It turns out familiars aren't really found uh, in many other places. Well, at least I would say an Anglophone thing, because I think mm -hmm. you do get some examples. Although actually, no, I, when I spoke to some people from Salem, they were saying even in Salem, you don't really get that because they were quite fascinated by all the familiars we have over here. But it's it's a very English thing anyway. So you get these demons or spirits in animal form that live with the witch or work for the witch go out and do their evil practices and they they do we think of the classic black cat i have my own black cat and she's my little <laughs> familiar but um they they came in all sorts of forms you had ferrets you had toads you had all sorts of different things and there's probably two things going on here one is that this is of course a thing where there is no evidence there is no physical evidence of witchcraft. And so what people are doing is trying to find a way to find someone guilty. And you see loads of animals wandering around a person's house and then going off and coming back. And you think, oh, what, what, what are they up to? And so you start <laughs> to create this story of they're the demons that this witch is using and they're going out and doing her bidding. Um, equally, that story then gets caught on and eventually people just make it up. They don't have familiars, they don't have pets, they don't have animals around the house, but they know that that's a thing that witches are associated with. And so they start accusing and they create these stories of, oh, yeah, she had a cat and that was why she did it. And she probably said, well, I don't have a cat. I've never had a cat. And they're like, no, I say I say you had a cat. I saw it walking around and they'll believe the non-witch over the witch. <laughs> so, yeah. We've talked about this being a long history, but it is intermittent, isn't it? So these mass, like where they suddenly have a craze for it and a mania for it, um, it comes in waves. So what is it that makes this flare up so dramatically when it does happen? So the peaks happen at different times. And usually it's at times when there's already some sort of social unrest. 
So the the big example, as we've said, we keep talking about the Manning Street witch trials, North East Essex trials. Um, this was at the time of the Civil War. So people were already suspicious of one another for political reasons. People had already fought and died um, or just, just about starting to kind of fight and die for their beliefs in who should be in positions of power within England. And other things can always be brought up in that. And that's what happens is you accuse someone of being, I don't know, a supporter of the royalists. And suddenly they're also a witch because they have different beliefs to you. They have different kind of uh, practices to you. And it's a, an, a time of polarisation. You also have at this time or just before this time, um, what's referred to as a, a little ice age, uh, where climate kind of sudden short term climate change happens. This has a huge effect on crops and cultivation and agriculture and what is likely to have happened is at a time again where science is very early in its understanding of how these things work rather than trying to explain this by kind of weather patterns and they wouldn't have had an understanding of, of what those things were they try to you try and find a cause and a reason and so a person has to be the reason for this and then they look to their communities and they see oh that that woman who lives on her own is uh, disabled, doesn't usually leave the house, has a lot of cats. I wonder what she's been up to. Why, why haven't we seen her in a while when the crops are failing? And so there's an association then with uh, people using magic to create failed harvests. And so, again, more accusations start to, to come about. And there's a, there's a lot of cases of livestock dying, lots of cases where someone's livestock has died. And so they, they blame someone nearby um, for having killed the livestock usually with their familiars or with some sort of magic um and equally in the earlier period in the late 1500s you have a lot of religious unrest so when henry VIII does his thing and creates the church of england for well forever afterwards i was going to say for a century afterwards but it's pretty much <laughs> today there was constant back and forth of protestantism catholicism what's right what's wrong how do we practice what's and if you found yourself on the wrong side of that you'd end up getting arrested and executed at times and that's a whole nother story in colchester there's a huge number of people um who were executed for their religious beliefs and a lot of the time these accusations of witchcraft get tied into religious uh non-conformity and you have you read through these case studies and you hear what they were doing and they're reading from books in strange languages and it's like well, maybe that was a latin bible not necessarily a, a demon summoning tome. And, and that's one of the things that keeps persisting into modern representations of witches, witches use Latin in film and TV and stuff. And that's because it was this whole Catholics versus Protestant uh, issue that was going on in the 1500s. My goodness. It's, it's just, it's incredible to see how, how prejudice can, can spread and go crazy, like right through history. Um, I'm so interested in the links between the civil war and the witchcraft trials. Um, one of the things I read was that because women, original sin going right back to the beginning are more easily led and more easily seduced. They're more likely to be swayed by nefarious royalists, um, <laughs> Catholics and the devil. Um, it, they're more likely to, to be sort of taken on these. Um, because we're in this time and because we're talking about Essex, we've, we've got to talk about him. Alex and I are not fans, um, but we need to talk about Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. Mm. Boo him. Boo him. I'm convinced, <laughs> by the way, that he tripped me over on the road outside Mistley Towers a while back. Yeah, I've been talking smack about him. How was he able to capitalise on the world turned upside down, all the, all the sort of disruption of the Civil War. And how did Colchester Castle cope with his industrious efforts? So he is your classic abuser and narcissist. He is someone who puts himself in a position of power and uses that power to manipulate and control everyone around him. Um, and this spread quite far across the whole of East Anglia. So um, he another aspect of, of his kind of motivation is money. 
So uh, this was a, a money-making operation that he was he was doing. He didn't care about the lives of the people he was saving. There's debate around his his levels of belief in witchcraft. I think I think from speaking to most people who are far more knowledgeable than I am of this subject, he he did believe, as most people did at the time, he did believe that there were witches out there and he did believe that they were causing harm. But the extent to which that led to the scale of his persecutions um, is definitely debatable. And Colchester Castle was one of the places that he used um, to keep those he and others had suspected of, of witchcraft. He kept them in the castle um, again for, for months. So the, the case of the, the famous, the, the Manning Tree Witch Trials, which is just one of the many cases that he personally was responsible for, that lasted months where they were kept in the castle. And that, as I mentioned earlier, where we had loss of life in the cells. So before they were even accused, people lost their lives. Um, he had accomplices, which helped him kind of reaffirm his power. If if he had supporters, then he had more of an argument. If he was going around on his own, people would have been easier to not believe. He would have just been, looked like a loon, wouldn't he, with a chair yeah. shoulder? But the interesting thing is, is not quite that he looked like a loon, but definitely people started to recognise what he was doing. And Colchester is one of those places, which I'm quite proud of, really, is that they were one of the towns in East Anglia that they did recognise what was going on. And they noticed that he was purely looking for money and they stopped using his services and they forced him to. to so he was on like a per head I think like it was something like paid. that. He, so it's he, in his interest to find as many women and screw yeah. them over as possible. Of course, yeah. So he hates him even more now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he also has this kind of hypocrisy in his book where he mentions in his book, because as I've mentioned, it's very difficult to find evidence of someone practicing witchcraft. It's impossible, really. Um, and in his book, he, he uses his book to point out the ways in which people were tricking he uses the book to say some people who are witch finders will use blades with fake kind of things that retract into the blade. That's bad. You shouldn't be tricking people <laughs> into thinking they're witches. Don't do that. Um, so he's created this book to kind of, which is all lies, to kind of reinforce his his image and to kind of show that he's the good one. He's doing it properly. Um, he won't tell you what he's doing necessarily all the time. But again, he's using torture, even though you're not meant to. Um, He's using these horrible techniques to to find people guilty, um, but he's pretending that everyone else is the bad person. Everyone else is doing it wrong and they're tricking you. And I'm the only one who's the authority. Um, but it clearly, for whatever reason, well, he, he died uh, fairly soon after his, his campaign. Let um, us take a moment to grieve. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's it's almost a shame that he didn't, it's his death I kind of almost see as an easy way out in a sense like obviously it's not nice for anyone to die mm. but if he'd have if he'd have lasted longer I feel like he would have the wheels more... would have started to come off yes more yeah. and more people were becoming aware of what he was doing and perhaps he would have eventually got some form of punishment for for what he did um I mean people people have said I don't believe this myself, but people have said that perhaps he was a witch himself and he people found him guilty and they executed him. It's more likely that he died of an illness. I think it's tuberculosis or something that's been cited. But um, this is, I mean, this is a big issue with this whole period is lack of records. I really hope someone cursed him. I really, <laughs> <laughs> like, some, some woman was just like, enough with you, enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, yeah, the lack of records is an issue for this. Knowing exactly what happened and and why you get these kind of anecdotal things from pamphlets and and he obviously wrote his own book so that's a certain biased account of what happened but um it is quite difficult to know motivations and and why people were doing what they were doing but it is the, the just based on the number of deaths that he led to is an absolutely horrific horrific person that um used his like i said used his position of power to manipulate and control everyone around him Interesting one as well because he he cultivated an image because he was only he was only in his mid twenties he died at twenty seven they reckon because you know again we don't know but 
that image of him that we all know from the, the woodcut view from the print of him in his tall hat and his high boots and he carried a staff and he didn't need a staff because he was like he was perfectly able-bodied but he carried this staff to sort of make him look more important than he was he gave himself a title gave himself this witchfinder general um in a time of war he makes himself a general mm. the the image this kind of face of witchfinding and the he becomes this brand this thing that that towns are willing to bankrupt themselves to pay for his services to come and mm-hmm. clear their witch problem. Yeah. I just, I mean, brilliantly though, um, Charlie's been writing something fictional um, and she has owned him. She's completely owned him. Right. It involves the devil and it's brilliant and I hope it comes to fruition. Um, That's why he tripped me up. Yeah, <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. I mean, he would, if he's seen the script you've written, he's got beef. That's all I'm saying. Um <laughs> Not all witches, like we have this, like not all witches in inverted commas <laughs> are these mean, horrible, spiteful women, are they? Um, you've got some amazing witchy artifacts at the castle. So, what's your favorite item on display? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So, naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Oh, that's a, that's a difficult one. Um, so I've got, I've got, I mean, I like them all, but, um, so what I'll kind of use this as an example. So this exhibition actually started out, it was going to be one case, um, with one object in, um, which did make it in, I'm glad to say, and that's probably is my favorite object. Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of the thing that started this all off, or at least it's the thing that accelerated this whole period. So it's not a, a good object, but it's a it's an important one, and that's um, a copy of the Malleus Maleficarum, which is uh, the book that was first published in the late fourteen hundreds. One of the copies we have on display from the University of Essex is from the fifteen hundreds, but it's the same it's the same text, and it was the first, or at least one of the first, just to cover all bases, uh, guides to hunting and identifying suspected witches now up until that point people had been accused of witchcraft people had been found guilty and executed but at much much lower rates across across the world and it was with the invention of the printing press in the 1400s or at least the kind of mass production printing that started in the 1400s that's when you start to see these accusations and executions really start to accelerate it's after the malleus maleficarum was created and mass produced and disseminated across the world other people start to see techniques guides ways in which you can identify those people who were using magic and eventually kill them and that is the kind of key object in this exhibition is that depending what way you go there is a sort of recommended route but depending what way you go it's it's meant to be the first object you see when you go into that space, it's in the case with some other books, including uh, Matthew Hopkins' book uh, and uh, another one, a later Essex witch trial. But that book, as I said, was going to be the only object that we had on on display, and we were going to use that book to talk about the witch trials. But but with because the idea was that we don't have a lot in our collections that actually reflect the witch trials and that history. But we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity this year to work with the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in Cornwall 
who loaned us so many wonderful objects, um, which I think are the ones you're probably alluding to, because they all relate to magical practice and how people did their magic and um, and still do today, to be fair. And so it was thanks to them that, that we've been able to do this exhibition. But that book was was my starting point. It was my kind of, oh, it'd be great to have a copy of that book on display, wouldn't it? <laughs> to then having this larger exhibition in the castle. It's, it's such a fantastic exhibition. We are going to we are going to call on people to get over to see you over um, over the holiday period. Um, but you don't just look at witchcraft back then. You touch on in this exhibition how we're still superstitious by nature, even in the 21st century. Um, Tell us how Wicked Spirits reflects that back at us. So I think that was a, an important conversation we had early on with the development of the exhibition is we recognised, firstly, this is a very dark history and the majority of our visitors are families. And so trying to engage them with a subject matter that's really dark and, and sad might be quite challenging. But also, I, I kept coming across in all the research I was doing, I kept coming across kind of comments and statements like, but how could how could they believe believe that? It's it's ridiculous that they'd believe that witches <laughs> were doing this and they, they must have been stupid to kind of accuse people of witchcraft. And so we thought a lot about the reasonings and, and things behind belief in general and why people believe things. And we didn't want to touch on religion too much because religion we thought was a kind of slightly separate thing. But superstition was something that came up a lot. And we discussed in our team kind of the different superstitions. We all had the things we did without recognising. For example, I, um, and how they vary as well across different places at different times. So, for example, I always, I will I will never walk over three drains. And I can't remember where that comes <laughs> no, from. What? I watched, I won't either. And I think yeah. it's our age group. But I watched yeah. someone sidestep in London the other day. She was in front of me and she did it. And then I did it. And I thought, how widespread is this? Yeah. But then, so I had this conversation and I'd say maybe a third to a half of the group I was in had never heard of that as a thing. They never knew about Three Drains being a, a thing. Um, I didn't know that. Did you well, not know? I, yeah, just we'll always, never, we'll walk over Three Drains. <laughs> we'll always step to the side. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it could be a regional thing. It could be a, a generational thing. It could be lots of different reasons. Um and equally, some of these traditions have persisted and changed slightly. So, for example, with magpies, um, magpie, the, the, the nursery rhyme or the rhyme about magpies, one for sorrow, um, that has changed. The wording for one for sorrow has changed over the centuries. There's a 1700s translation that we have that's slightly different, but always it's one magpie equals bad, two magpies equals good. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else after <laughs> that can be different. But the main thing is if you see one magpie, that's bad luck. Um, and so as you've just kind of gestured uh, <laughs> that you can salute a single magpie um, and sometimes people even greet the magpie. You say, good morning, Mr. Magpie. Um, and yeah. that is meant to negate that bad luck. Uh, so so lots of people will be familiar with magpies. If you're again, if you're from the UK specifically, um, but again, other parts of the world will have different things. Some some contrast. So black cats. Black cats, bad luck here for the majority. Although even having said that, I've spoken to some people living in the UK who say they're good luck if they cross your path. But um, I don't know. But in places like China, black cats and Japan as well, I think, in the kind of Eastern Asia, they're, they're good luck. They're kind of a sign of good luck. So uh, a symbol can have multiple different superstitious meanings depending on time and place. And so what we did is we included superstition in the kind of middle of the exhibition. So as people are walking around, hearing these stories, learning about what was happening and starting to think, well, this is, why were people believing this? This sounds, especially when you hear it with a modern ear. If someone says, oh, they were just an old elderly disabled person at home doing nothing. Well, why would you accuse them of, of being so powerful and doing all this stuff? Um, and so we put that in to get people to reflect and think, well, actually, I believe in a lot of stuff that perhaps doesn't have any grounding in physical evidence. I'll still do this because I, for whatever reason, I've been conditioned or I just I just believe that this is this is what happens. Um, and so for the we call it Superstition Corner because it's kind of in the corner. Um, we have a combination of uh, museum collections. So we have some of our objects that touch on superstition. So we have those magpies. We have broken mirror we have um 
little flint uh, objects, which are fairy and elf shot. Um, but we also had uh, an artist, was a couple of um, paper artists commissioned um, Posy Patu on Instagram is the Instagram account. And uh, they commissioned these um, paper cuts of different superstitions. I think there's 11, if I can remember. They're all in these big wooden crates and they kind of reflect a whole range of different superstitions and beliefs. And they're absolutely beautiful designs and so colourful. And that's where we wanted to, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's such a dark, both both yeah. in terms of the topic and also in terms of the objects and the kind of stuff that's in the bases. <laughs> a very dark exhibition. Um, so we wanted some colour and light in it to kind of give 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 something a bit more, not just for our family audiences, although it's partly around that, but for, for everyone to kind of have a bit of a bit of hope and a bit of understanding to to why these things were happening um and so yeah we wanted to include that um from from the from very early on i think we started talking about superstitions and having that involved talk about superstition but image as well um pointy hats and broomsticks you know what's really funny is that obviously this has been perpetuated by the likes of jk rowling and if you want a witch hunt i mean without (laughs) getting into any of the politics because i ain't touching that um so like this is a, a another powerful woman um, with a voice who some people just can't abide that voice which I think is telling but where does this image that what where did she get that from and where does it come from this idea of broomsticks pointy hats big warty noses yeah so um this is uh it's again some of some of that does tie does kind of go back to that early history of uh, the witch trials and it's through another podcast funnily enough eerie essex who i spoke with um fairly recently that i found out about this listening to their podcast um so the pointy hats is to do with brewing so um female brewers would have these pointy hats and i can't remember the full history of it but it's it's uh um, women who were who were kind of would brew things had these pointy hats, and there was a. I mean, you hear witches brew as well now. Is although yeah. cauldrons are kind of meant to be for like potions and curses <laughs> and stuff, it's still often referred to as witches brew, or at least kind of you come across that. Um, and yeah, so it's the associations with with these women who were actually had jobs were doing these things um, that this kind of association with uh, witches the image of the witch with the pointy hat and the broomstick um, comes from. You do get woodcuts uh, slightly later in the history of uh, witches riding on broomsticks and things like that. Um, but the early, the earlier histories of it, that there was none of the kind of images we see today. Um, and the image of the witch has also changed a lot, I feel, in, in modern times. So you kind of, if you think, go back to Wizard of Oz, I think Wizard of Oz is the classic classic witch that we all think of green skin pointy hat broom um (laughs) but since then you've had this development of good witches and positive magic and you see those depicted in other films and books and tv shows and that it might be earlier but i think one of the earlier examples of that is films like the craft um and tv shows like charmed kind of in the in the 90s where you have this this change of attitude and i'm sure well actually thinking even further back much earlier back um there bewitched. are i forgot the name of it bewitched bewitched that was it yeah 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 um so yeah so you do have it even earlier than that so um in the 1900 shall we say then that there is this huge shift and it's funnily enough and this is a this is an inter- this is a fact that shocked me and i think all of us when we did this research it wasn't until the 1900s that the last witchcraft act ended Wow. So it was the 1735 Act um, wasn't ended until the 1940s, I think, um, which is shocking to think that that law was still in place up until fairly recently. And it was the last person to be uh, accused of witchcraft was um, someone from Scotland. And that was in that was during the Second World War. And they'd had multiple accusations of witchcraft practices and, and, and fortune telling and that sort of thing throughout their lifetime. Yeah. And um it was yeah it was it was very recently that those crimes and accusations started to that that law anyway stopped yeah. um so people could have been accused and sentenced up until very recently they weren't really um but you you do have and we do have a, a very recent case study from the late 1800s in the exhibition 
um, from Essex. So it's showing a later example from Essex. Um, but yeah, going back to the point of of this this image, it's it's something that um, has been very fluid throughout its history. Anyway, this idea and Hollywood, I think, is the big reason why. Firstly, that prominent image of of the pointy hat broomstick, which because of the Wizard of Oz and things like that, has persisted. And Disney, you have Maleficent and and things like that. Um, but yet, there is still this response from the media. Uh, TV, film, etc., to present this good witch image, but for some reason it just doesn't seem to pick up. I think people still always think pointy hat broomstick, and I—that's the thing that I haven't been able to figure out why we're so eager to hang on to this idea of pointy hat broomstick, green skin as being a witch, and we're reluctant to think we well, actually witches could look normal, and maybe they're actually there to help you. How how radical a thought is that? Um, but yeah, it's 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 a fascinating topic, and it's something that we didn't really touch on too much in the exhibition itself. But we had several speakers throughout the exhibition program series because um, I wanted to bring in people with different perspectives and different approaches. And so we had two authors: we had A.K. Blakemore and Sid Moore uh, come and talk about their books around the witch trials. Um, again, presenting in a more positive view of what witches. Uh, were and are like and uh we had filmmaker john warland uh who created um witch finder which was a film about matthew hopkins but again kind of looking at his his horrible deeds and kind of the lives of the women he he accused and how how that ended up happening um and people from pendle and salem um showing that kind of international national perspective on why why these things happened everywhere and in very similar ways, and how that how that came about. Um, but Pendle has a, not Pendle Salem has a very. They were saying they have this this issue every year where, and of course because Halloween's a much bigger thing in America. Well, it's getting bigger here. Um, every Halloween they have the same issue of people in pointy hats and broomsticks coming up to them <laughs> trying to learn about the history of the witch trials. And actually, they're like, well, that's not that's not what's going on. This isn't what was happening. Um, but they said they they have they do have very good conversations with these people. And it is about slowly changing perspectives. And I think exhibitions like this help with that. It kind of gives people the opportunity to to learn about what it was actually like. And um, we can't control Hollywood. They'll continue to churn <laughs> up all of these pointy hats. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of raising awareness is something that needs to be done more. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, you know, just thinking about about the, the things that I was exposed to as I was growing up, so um, repeats on TV were a very, very big thing in the 90s. So I grew up with Bewitched, The Addams Family, Monsters. And then, of course, you get The Addams Family films. I think I was 10 when I dressed as Morticia Adams for a Halloween party. And I've basically dressed as Morticia Adams any Halloween. I could get away with it since. Then you get Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which was just epic. Um, the Craft. My teen goth years, you've got the craft, you've got um, practical magic, uh, all of these films. And yet still, we we use the word witch as an insult against normally women. Um, isn't that bizarre? Yeah. So one of the most striking elements of the exhibition I found is a great big list of names. Um, tell us about those. And is there any particular one that interested you so the list is just over 750 possibly 760 names they are sometimes repeated and in in some instances that's multiple accusations but in some instances as, as I've I've found while I was looking through those names um it's interesting. It's it's names so far apart that they can't have been the same person. So it's so uh, it's it's a mixture of individual cases as well as some people being kind of multiple times accused. This is just in Essex, and this is between roughly fifteen fifty and sixteen seventy five. I think so. Not even the entire span of 
witchcraft persecutions. It's at the peak. It's covering the peaks of the persecutions, um, but it's not the entire history. And uh, it's just it's just one county. So that shows just the sheer scale of what was going on in Essex alone. And Essex has been known as, as which county and is kind of recognised as a place, I think historically was recognised as a place of where more accusations happened. But we wanted to visually represent that. Um, I'm not going to lie, this isn't the first time it's been done. Uh, first Sight, which is a, an art gallery in Colchester, did an exhibition a few years ago of, um, a, it was an art exhibition around, inspired by witch trials and, and accusations. And um, they had a wall of names. And there was also a wall where you could add your own name to, um, I think, or there was some way of adding your own name to this this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember seeing that and thinking it was quite powerful. And so we wanted to include something like that in, in there. This is a slightly potentially slightly more updated list um and i'm awaiting an even more updated list um because again throughout i i I should have been clear at the beginning i'm not a witch trials expert my area of uh training if you want to call that my background in expertise is romans so that's my (laughs) that's my area of specialism um but i i've always been passionate about this this history and and wanted to kind of share that that with everyone and so um i had to do a lot of research and i've also been working a lot with other specialists to make sure that everything's correct so professor alison rowlands at the university of essex i've been working with a lot and she is soon to be giving me um an updated list of of names because what we're hoping to do is keep that list of names at the castle so although the exhibition will be coming down in the new year we want to keep some elements of wicked spirits in the castle for visitors in the future to to still see and um, experience and the names is the thing that most people have really resonated with and, and yeah. felt to be the kind of one of the strongest parts of the exhibition gosh i mean yeah it is a it's a real case of when you visit the castle come for the witches stay for the romans um listeners have still got a few weeks left to catch this exhibition um Though they'll be able to see the jail cells and plenty more at Colchester Castle, even after you wrap. Um, Can you tell us what we can expect to see at the castle in 2023? Yep. So um, the Wicked Spirits comes down on the 8th of January, um, but we will be open for most of the Christmas period and New Year and throughout that those few weeks. Um, So there's still time. the big thing for next year, which has recently been teased, um, so I am allowed to mention it now, ah. is that we have a gladiators exhibition coming to the castle. Now, this isn't the 1990s, 80s kind of wolf and all of those people. This is Roman ah. gladiators. I know we do. We did talk about that when we said we we're doing a gladiators exhibition. We're like, we could get some of the tv people no we won't um much like wicked spirits we're not looking at modern modern representations as much um but it's going to be about gladiators and we're working with the british museum and quite a few other museums across the country um to loan in some really exciting objects to look at uh the history of gladiator fights um in britain um but the interesting thing for us is that Colchester, although it was once the capital of Roman Britain, we haven't yet found any evidence of an arena, which is where gladiators and things like that would have would have fought. We've got a theatre, which is for plays yeah. and things, and we've got a Roman cir- the only Roman circus in Britain, which is for chariot races, but no arena yet. So there's a lot of kind of speculation about kind of what would have happened, because gladiator fights were such a huge part of Roman culture that they they would have happened here somewhere surely so how would that have looked if there wasn't arena did they do it somewhere else or is it just that we haven't found it yet and this is the problem with archaeology is that we're entirely reliant on what's been found and a lot of the time not a lot has been found so we have to kind of speculate but but yes that's the big thing for 2023 oh my goodness that is so exciting i I mean i'm also thinking like kind of the russell crowe film and thinking you're gonna go full out epic what's yeah. a fight in the castle grounds what do you reckon 
Well, there, so there there will be kind of events going on around it. Uh, actually, this this year just gone, we had um, the first uh, Roman festival in Castle Park, um, which included gladiator fights, which what? was fantastic. I went and saw them; they were brilliant. Um, I was pleased to see a combination of kind of different ages, men and women gladiators, kind of showing the the diversity of what what would have been at these gladiator fights so uh that was really good and i think yeah we're gonna have gonna have more kind of events and things around the exhibition a bit like we did with wicked spirits we kind of we had the exhibition but you do talks and other things around it to kind of add with the problem with exhibitions is always that you're limited you can only write or put in so much and there's so much to talk about that you have to find other creative ways of of doing that if you uh, don't have someone recreating that that move, and everyone knows what move I'm talking about, Russell Crowe, one sword, two swords, pull them out, decapitate. If someone's <laughs> disappointed, we we really should. I think because so the the plan for the exhibition is that it will be a sort of experience of a day at the games. So it kind of goes through yeah. what you would do at the day. I can, I can I've got so I've got a list. Um, I've got <laughs> work my way down, but um. I, I can supply a victim for you. <laughs> <laughs> we could do oh. with victims, yeah, sure. Ben, do you promise you'll come back on and talk to us all about that when that's coming out? Uh, well, either myself or... So I've I've not really been involved that much with the Gladiators exhibition myself, but my colleagues, uh, Glenn and Sophie, have been kind of leading on that. So um, I'm sure one of us would be happy to come on and talk. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming to join us. Where can people get information about Wicked Spirits and Colchester Castle? So uh, on our website, which is cimuseums.org.uk, there's lots of uh, information on there and stuff about access and things. So if you need to plan your visit, you can you can look at that. Uh, We also have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook where we regularly post about all the different things that are going on. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate our listeners and supporters so make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.